0: Two, as we continue our series on the book of Romans, which Paul wrote in order to um, help the, the church in Rome understand the the details of the gospel, in order to help them celebrate the gospel, in order to help them rest in the gospel and rejoice in it, and hopefully that's what we're going to do this morning. We'll see how it goes. Um, but we're gonna uh, I'm going to start reading actually in verse 16. I know Silas covered verses 16 and 17 last week. But I think it's absolutely crucial for us to reread 16 and 17 in order to understand 18 to 32. Um, you'll notice verse 18 starts with the word for, um, or in other words, because. And so 18 to 32 are explaining why Paul has said what he said in 16 and 17, where he talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. The righteousness of God is revealed. And lastly, lastly, he says, the righteous will live by faith. And this is why. This is, he, he begins to explain why the righteous have to live by faith. So listen to God's word as I read Romans 1, 16 to 32. It's, it's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Um, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made so that they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, And birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up in dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that your spirit would come upon us in such a way that we see clearly what you have said here and what you're saying to us now. Father, we pray that as we think about your word that you would leave none of us untouched, that, that you would work in each and every one of our hearts to bring us to a greater point of repentance and trust and joy. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've watched sports uh, a lot throughout my life, and as a result, um, I've often seen situations where there's like an injury on the field, and you know by how it happened or you know, by the reaction of the people, they're like you know waving the 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 medic, medic, medics over and everything. That if they show the replay, I'm not going to want to watch it. You know, has that ever you know you ever experienced that? And then they do often show the replay, and they show it again, and they show it again, and they show it again, and you're like, no, please, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. I'm sure there are some wackos here who probably love to see the replay. <laughs> But probably most of us are like, no, I can't look. It's, you know, it, and it's because like, somebody's arm or their leg or their foot has gone in a direction that it's not supposed to go. It's gone in a very unnatural direction, and it's just hard to watch that. It's hard to look at. Um, last spring, uh, I think I might have mentioned this before, but, but our, our son Adrian broke his pinky at soccer practice, and uh, I wasn't there, and the coach calls me on my phone. He's like, uh, I think Adrian might have dislocated his pinky. I'm not sure, but I don't want to try to reset it unless you're here. So I get in the car, and I run over to the field, and I get there, and he's standing with his coach with like an ice pack on his hand. And then uh, I get up there, and he takes the ice pack away. and. I know that as a good father, I need to stay calm, and I need to just keep looking at it and be like, "Yeah, that, that's interesting." But I, I, everything in me was just like, "Yeah," like I just wanted—I did not want to look at it. I think I did a pretty good job. Though. I was just like, "Yep, that's a, a problem," you know? Like we got to go to the doctor. But his pinky was like bent in a way that Pinky shouldn't be bent. You know, it was—it was not good, and—and and it just did not want to look at that. I didn't want to look at it. As we get into Romans one, we read a passage that is, in my opinion, hard to look at. It's hard to look at this passage, these verses in Romans one eighteen to thirty-two, because they show us stuff that's um, that that's hard to see. Um, they they talk a lot about the wickedness of humanity. And personally, I would rather just kind of believe that people are pretty decent people and we all make mistakes sometimes. But this paints a pretty dark picture. And it talks about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. I mean, whoever uses the word wrath these days, right? I mean, I don't want to really meditate much on the wrath of God. I'd rather not. I'd rather just think about the love of God. I'd rather just think about, you know, I'd rather just cut and paste John 3.16 throughout my entire Bible, for God so loved the world, and just, let's just focus on that, right? But here we talk about the wrath of God. It's hard to look at, and, and, and it's hard to look at because we have a passage here that describes the fact that the relationship between God and people is broken in such a way that it's, it's like pointing in a direction it shouldn't be pointing, you know? And so it's hard for us to look at this. It's hard for us to to be willing to admit maybe that it describes, uh, describes us. Um, and some of us might even be offended by some of it. But Paul puts it in here right at the beginning, right at the beginning of this book, this big book that he, this letter, that he, where he talks about the gospel, where he talks about not being ashamed of the gospel, where he talks about the power of the gospel. And so this has to be essential. Paul thinks it's essential for us to understand this if we're gonna understand the power of the gospel and how to live in response to it, how to even celebrate it and rejoice in it. All right, so, so try your best this morning not to look away. And, um, and we're gonna look at this. First, I wanna just kinda of look at how this passage talks about the wickedness of humanity, how Paul describes the wickedness in, in, of humanity in detail, and he describes it in a number of ways. The first thing that he points out is that he, he, say, he points out the fact that, that people um, are experts at suppressing the truth. They're experts at suppressing the truth of who God is, right? Um, he says in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. How do they suppress the truth? What is the truth that they're suppressing? Well, in verse 19, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so what Paul is saying is that As we look at creation, as we look out the window, um, as we look at the sun rising every morning and setting every night, as we feel the heat of the sun, as we look at the the beauty and the the majesty of creation at at mountain ranges and valleys and trees, and as we look at the the diversity and the intricacy of all the animals in all creation, um, all of these things point to the fact that someone made them all that there is a creator behind all of it. As we look at one another, and all of the complexity of what makes a human being human, you know, and our ability to relate, our ability to reason, our ability to create, um, our our sense of the fact that there is right and wrong. Every single person in the world has some kind of sense that there is right and wrong. Um, As we look at one another, we are without excuse, we must at least admit that there is a God, there is a creator behind it all that we're all accountable to, to, that is powerful, that is beyond us, that we're accountable to. And so we're without excuse. And, and yet we suppress that truth. People suppress that truth. We, we find all sorts of reasons to rationalize away the, the existence of the universe. Even as, you know, even as uh, as there's new scientific discoveries and all sorts of advance, advancement in technology, you know, we, we find out the universe is way bigger than we ever could have conceived. And and we find out that, that people are way more complex. You know, the, 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 the tiniest things, atoms, are way more complex than we ever imagined. And, and people look at this stuff and they, they say, oh, there couldn't be a God because this, this had to have all come about by, you know, just random coincidence. And, and people look at, you know, they, they look at people like me and say, you must be naive to believe that someone made this all. And I think it's actually the opposite way around. I think you actually, the more you know, you have to be naive to believe that this all happened by accident that people are here by accident. And, and so I think we, we find all sorts of ways to suppress the truth of the reality of God, even just in our, in our daily existence, you know, that to, to treat God as if he's just a theory, to treat God as, God as if he's just at the most a placebo to help us you know, cope with life instead of a real living being. And yet, Paul points out that, that we are without excuse all of creation points us to the fact that there is at least a creator that we are accountable to. And then he, he goes on, he points out that even though we, ha- we have enough to know that God is real, and that he's made us, in verse 21, people don't honor him or give thanks to him. That should be our, our initial baseline response to the fact that I was made by someone bigger and greater than me, is I should be thankful I mean, that's, that's probably, you know, you might disagree, we might, we might have disagreements about what, you know, about all sorts of different things about morality, what is right and wrong, but I would guess that pretty much every single person in the world would agree that it's wrong to be thankless. Don't you think so? I mean, when somebody gives you something, if you're not thankful for it, that's wrong. It, this was ingrained to me from when I was a, a young child, that every gift-giving experience, you know, whether it's Christmas or whether it's my birthday or some other celebration where I'm receiving gifts, I, I knew that it was my obligation. I had to, if the person was in the room, walk over there, say, thank you, maybe give them a hug, or if they're not there, I, I was definitely writing thank you notes, you know, which I wasn't too happy about. It was such a pain to write those thank you notes. But it was ingrained in me, you know, if, if, if you receive something, you need to be thankful. It's wrong not to be thankful. And yet, we, uh, humanity is regularly just taking all sorts of things for granted, treating life as if we are entitled to it, treating every breath we take as if it's something we're entitled to. You know, I should be thankful for every single breath I take. I should be thankful for the fact that I woke up this morning after obliviously resting for six, seven, eight, nine hours, however long you slept last night, How often do I wake up and I'm just like, thank you, God? I'm not. I'm just oblivious to all of the things, so many things I should be thankful for. And we're thankful, thankless people. And then another thing that people have done is we've traded God and we've traded God's design in for something less. We've traded God and God's design in for something less. He he says three times, he uses this word exchanged here. We've traded something, right? Um, he says in verse 23 that people have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then in verse 25, he says, they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All of humanity, every single person who has been born in this world, we've been born and created in order to with with this with this sense, this need to worship, to worship the one who made us, to worship the living God, the glorious one. And yet what have we done? In so many ways, we've traded him in and decided to worship things that are less than him, things that he's created. We, and, and you might not call it worship, but it, it, we, we've directed our lives towards these other things. We've lived for these other things. We allow these other things to, to kind of um, control how we live and respond to life, whether it's you know, our career or our money or our pleasure or our comfort or our relationships. And we raise all of those things to having ultimate value and live for them. These things that cannot sustain the weight we put on them. And we've traded God For these lesser things but then he also points out that we've traded in his design for us as you get into verses 26 and 27 he says for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and what he's saying here is one of the things that we have traded in, we've traded God's design for human sexuality. And, and we, we've, we've, God has made and designed sex to be, to be expressed within the context of a, of a marriage between a man and a woman, where they have made promises to one another, and the sanctity of that relationship. And yet we've traded that and, and, and just taken on... and, and given sex something else that it, that it wasn't meant to bear. We, we've used it in all sorts of different ways outside of that context. And we said, God, we're not happy with your design. We're going to take our own. And we're going defi- to define it ourselves. And we've not only done that, I think this is just one example of the way that we've traded God's design for our own. It's not only with sexuality, but it's also with the things that we, that we strive for. The, things that, the, the goals that we pursue, the way that we relate just in, in our own families and marriages, and, and, and we, we you know, take our own design and ignore His. And so we ignore His design for how things should be. And if that's not enough, the wickedness of humanity is found in what people are filled with. And this, there's this long list in verse 29 and 30, and I'm going to read it again. This really long list of things, sad things, tragic things, ugly things. And he says, people, humanity is full of these things everywhere. And um, if we're honest, as we look around ourselves, we would say, yeah, this is, this is a pretty good description of a lot of what I see around me and my world. And, and then he, he ends up saying in verse 32, right? Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die... They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what this world is like, you know? Celebrating all of these things, the fact, you know, celebrating the fact that, and not even just celebrating it, but approving of it. Approving of it. to, To the extent that, you know, for me to say that we've traded in God's design for sexuality for something lesser, you know, there's all sorts of people I know in here who are probably like, no, that's not right. Because our culture says the opposite, right? Our culture celebrates and encourages us to all of these things. To all of these things. I mean, you think about covetousness. Our country, our country, you know, is built upon covetousness. You know, the fact that we are so prosperous is a result of us encouraging people to want what other people have and want it enough to work really hard to get it. Isn't it? We celebrate it. I mean, one of our favorite pastimes is to talk about other people, to gossip, to slander. We encourage one another, we take part. Um, I don't know if there are any kids here, but I don't even want to mention, you know, how, how many of us are perfectly obedient to our parents? We encourage each other you know to be independent, to, to just listen to ourselves. And so this is what we have. We, we have this wickedness described in detail, and, and it 's hard to look at. I know it's hard to look at. But then Paul speaks of the wrath of God, and it's even harder. You know the wrath of God is a reality. He says in verse 18, "The wrath of God is revealed from heaven." And what exactly is he talking about when he talks about the wrath of God being revealed? He's talking about it in the present tense, right? It's being revealed from heaven. Last I checked, I'm not seeing any, like, flaming thunderbolts falling out of the sky, you know, around us. What is he talking about when he says the wrath of God is being revealed? How is the wrath of God being experienced right now? Because when I think about the wrath of God, I think about some future time when Jesus returns And when we talk about wrath, we're talking about God's legitimate justice, his judgment upon all those who have turned their backs on him. I think about something future, something major, cataclysmic, but how is wrath happening right now? And I think it's happening, and he describes it, again, with something he repeats three times here. He says, God gave them up three times in this passage, right? And often in response to when it says people exchanged things, they exchanged God for lesser things. It says God gave them up, in verse 24, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity or to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave them up, in verse 26, to dishonorable passions. In verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And I think what he's saying here, there's a sense in which as people, as, as humanity has chosen to trade God in for things that are lesser, what God has done is to say, okay, you can have what you want. Um, that, that phrase, gave them up, it, it's, it's, it's also used in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's used when Israel is, God gives Israel into the hands of their enemies, that their enemies might do with Israel what they want. And so in a sense, what God is doing is he's, we, we're fighting against God. We're turning our backs on God. We're grasping after all sorts of things other than God. And God says, okay, go ahead. You can have what you want. And you can have, an, the, and, and you can have the misery that goes along with it. Um, there have been times, maybe it's only really happened once or twice, when our kids, we, we've, our kids have been, you know, like, being their usual selves, kind of running riot around our house. And we've, so we've forced them to all kind of, like, play something, you know? You have to play here, you have to play here, you have to play here. Somebody's playing with their Legos. And then things are going well, and then we're like, you know, we want to take them out to do something fun. So we're like, we'll take them to the McDonald's, McDonald's Play Place or... Um, Unfortunately, Chuck E. Cheese, maybe, or, or Sky Zone or something. Or like, okay, guys, we're going to do, do something fun. Let's get in the car and go somewhere. But one of them will be like, so mad at, at that we've made them like, play nicely, quietly for a while that they'll be like, I don't want to go. I'm just going to sit here and play with my Legos that you made me play with. <laughs> and they won't give it up. And so eventually, I'm not sure how many times, maybe only once, but we've been like, okay, Mom's going to take the other boys. You're going to stay home with Dad. You can just play with your Legos while everybody else goes and has this great time. You know? And, and that's, in a sense, what God does when he gives us up to the things that we're like, no, I want this. I want to redefine my life the way that I want to. I want to express myself the way that I want to, even if it hurts the people around me. God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. I want to live without thanking you. I'm going to live on my own independently. Okay, I'm going to give you what you want. C.S. Lewis wrote at one point, um, he said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. I think that's what this passage is getting at. We insist on running the opposite direction from God in all sorts of different ways. And that only ends to misery because we're made for him. But as we continue to insist, God says, go ahead, go ahead. And I think that's one real way that we experience his wrath. Now, I think that these verses, as hard as they are to look at, are a very accurate description of the state of our world. As I said before, I I can look around me and I say to myself, yep, this is what the world is like. Isn't it tragic? Isn't it terrible? It's full of people who suppress the truth about God. It's full of people who are ungrateful, who don't pay attention to God, who who have traded God in and his design for life who are filled with all of this ugliness. It's full of so many people like this. But see, this is the problem. The real danger here is that if we read this passage and we and we are like this passage is about them, then I'm missing the whole point of Romans 1. I am missing the whole point of Romans 1 if I read this and I'm like those people are so yeah. This is such a good description of those awful people. The easy thing to, to, to do here is look and, and, and say, oh, this is all about them. And I think one clear example, you know, this passage among, uh, is, is, is the passage where, when it comes to, to sexuality, you know, the, the passage that the church for years and years, they point to this passage and say, yep, all those people who are gay are going to hell. And this is the thing. We need to realize that this passage is about us. It's about me, first and foremost. I need to see myself here. I need, to see, I need to look at my own heart and see how it's pointing in the wrong direction, in an unnatural direction. I need to look at my own heart and say, how am I suppressing the reality of God in my life? How am I living my life without thanking him for everything? How how am I rejecting God's design for my own sexuality, you know? Gay or straight. How am I filled with these things here, longing for the things that other people have? Gossiping, proud, boastful heartless. How am I heartless? See, the true wisdom of Romans 1 is this. That this this passage is not meant to help me identify how the rest of the world is unrighteous. It's it's, it's meant to help me identify the fact that I'm unrighteous. Because it's only when I understand that I am unrighteous that I can really understand Paul the whole reason Paul's writing this, right? In verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. This is why the righteous have to live by faith. Because none of us are righteous. We need a righteousness that is given to us. Not that we achieve on our own. We need a righteousness that, that is given as a gift through the work of God in Jesus Christ. And I need to live trusting in him to give me what I need. I need to live resting in him. That's what it means to live by faith. I need to live counting on him to give me what I don't have. Counting on him. I, th- this passage has helped to, is here to, to, to help me see how desperate I am in need of God's mercy. So that I will trust in the one whose mercy is greater than I can even imagine. Paul is just beginning to try to help us see that the only way to interact with God and truly live is to to come to him knowing that I'm in desperate need for his mercy, as I just said, and counting on his mercy to be more than enough and to accept me and to make me righteous. The temptation for us and it never changes whether you have been a Christian for a short time or a Christian for 50 years. The temptation for us is to be, no, I gotta make myself righteous. I gotta clean myself up. I've got to like, act as, as good and put together as possible or I at least have to do a little better than the person next to me. But God says no. Your unrighteousness is a reality. But guess what? My righteousness, the righteousness of my son Is enough for you and that is why Paul can say I'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes and that includes every person who is described in these verses and so we need to to look to him to hold on to him to, to to receive the righteousness he he can only give us through the work of Jesus the fact that Jesus, the righteous one, lived and died on the cross to take upon himself the wrath of God and to rise from the dead in order that we might live. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes. We pray that, uh, that you would help us to meditate on this passage, not to look away from it, but to actually think about it to think about how it applies to me. How it declares me unrighteous. And Father, we pray that as I do that, I wouldn't just uh, fall into a, a deep hole of despair, but instead I would look up to you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to Uh, as we we are humbled by this picture that is painted of our own hearts, we pray that at the same time we would be overwhelmed by this gospel, the good news of the person of Jesus, the one who makes us righteous in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, and uh, we're going to prepare our hearts by...